0: This is Fireside Breakdowns, I'm Robin. And I'm John. Together, we research and break down complex and even controversial topics facing our society. We always aim to bring you honest analysis backed by research to skew our bias toward what can be factually supported and to make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. We're human, we have blind spots and biases and they will show through. However, our goal isn't to convince you to see things our way. We want to build a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that we can address them together.
1: We talk about some pretty heavy stuff on this show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing. But we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way people have hard conversations. And we think we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding. And since you're here, we hope that you want the same thing.
0: So, we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside.
1: So, hello everybody, welcome back. We're glad you're joining us this week. We are trying something new with this episode. One of the things we want to be able to do with this podcast is to bring you all fact-informed perspectives on timely issues as they're coming up in your social media feeds. Sometimes we just don't have a week to compile 16 pages of cited research before we talk to you about something you may be thinking about and forming opinions about in real time.
0: So we decided to pivot. Not completely. We're still going to bring you those deep dives, But starting with this episode, we're also going to sprinkle in some ripped from the headlines content and try to contribute to the conversation with information that's grounded in fact rather than polarized opinion. This week, we're talking about TXXB8, the Texas abortion law. No pressure. No pressure.
1: Um, Yeah. So obviously, this, this one's been building for a while. But we weren't necessarily planning on talking about it just yet. <laughs> Actually, abortion has been on our on our like to talk about radar since last year, episode one. But it's um, yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one to to talk about. It's hard to to get a handle on.
0: Yeah, and I feel like I don't want to just give everybody the same information that they can get from anywhere else. And so we wanted to wait till we could talk about it in a way that was more meaningful than just reciting the two arguments, you know, the classic pro-life versus pro-choice arguments. Here's the opportunity, I
1: guess. Yeah. Now, this won't be our last uh, foray into this topic. In fact, this is probably best suited as a primer on some of the issues um, and, and specifically what's going on right now. We'll definitely revisit this moving forward maybe next week we don't know yet maybe um uh, a month from now maybe a year from now fingers crossed uh and and and, you know as things develop and change um it's one of those topics like robin said that's just talked about uh i mean all the time it feels like it's just saturated everywhere so there's not a lot that we can easily just add to the conversation that's different than some perspectives that you've already heard. Um, but we're going to try. And, um, we figured a, a good place to start, oddly enough, would be talking about what Roe versus Wade actually is because it gets thrown around a lot. And I don't know that a lot of people understand what the, what the actual case was. And, um, What it did and what happened because of it Uh, because what we hear often what I hear often is that it made abortion legal And that's a little bit of a misnomer
0: Yeah, it it definitely I I think that starting this way is is the way to go because well first of all the actual texas piece of legislation does reference the case Um, and you have to have that background to understand exactly how laws like this will work.
1: To put this all in context, if you, in case you missed it, um, the Supreme Court this week, the United States Supreme Court, failed to block a law that effectively um, banned abortion for 85% plus of the uh population in texas of, of the childbearing population in texas um because of the way that the law is structured and written and we'll get into that in a little bit um, so in 1973 if we're going to get hop into the way back machine that's when uh <laughs> roe v wade that's a reference that i am pretty sure fewer and fewer people are going to get oh my gosh. Um, uh roe roe versus wade happened in 1973 And, um, it, it really led to the definitive Supreme court ruling on women's rights with respect to abortion. Um, Jane Roe, was an unmarried pregnant woman and she filed suit on behalf of herself and others to challenge Texas abortion laws. Quick little factoid here. That is an alias like Jane (laughs) Doe. Jane Roe was, is not her actual name. Um, uh, a Texas doctor, she uh, they jumped on Rose's lawsuit arguing that the state's abortion laws were too vague for doctors to follow. This particular doctor had actually been arrested for <laughs> violating the statute. So m- maybe they had some, uh, some skin in the game <laughs> already.
0: Exactly. At that point in time, abortion was illegal in Texas unless it was done to save the mother's life. Um, It was a crime to get an abortion or to attempt to get one or to complete one. Um, So in Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court decided two really important things. The United States Constitution provides a fundamental right to privacy that protects a woman's right to choose whether to have an abortion. However, that abortion right is not absolute. It has to be balanced against the government's interest in protecting women's health and prenatal life.
1: So Texas came to, their, came to the court date uh, with three main arguments that basically stated, um, to, to defend their statute, it basically stated that states have an interest in safeguarding health, maintaining medical standards, and protecting prenatal life. Um, it also said a fetus is a person protected by the 14th Amendment, and then it said protecting prenatal life from the time of conception is a compelling state interest.
0: And it's interesting if you go and read this legislation, uh, this current legislation, you'll see some of those same themes, that same narrative taking place throughout that piece of legislation. Uh, Jane Roe and the others involved in the lawsuit, however, had some really strong counter arguments to those points. Um, They said that the Texas law invaded an individual's right to privacy under the 14th Amendment, that the Texas law infringed on women's rights to marital, familial, and sexual privacy guaranteed by the Bill of Rights, and that the right to an abortion is absolute. Women are entitled to end a pregnancy at any time for any reason in any way that they choose.
1: As with many debates, where there are strong, uh, strong opinions on both sides at least, this was resolved through a compromise, sort of. The court really split the difference between the two arguments. First the court did recognize that abortion falls under women's privacy rights. Now, this right isn't exactly explicitly stated in the Constitution. Instead, it comes from the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. The Due Process Clause states that "...no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property... Without due process of law, nor deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. This is a very important clause in United States history. It has done a lot of work, like a lot (laughs) of work. work. Um, In fact, this is not even the first time we've mentioned it this year. (laughs) Definitely not on the podcast. No, for sure. Um, We talk about it a lot. Notice, however, that there's no actual mention of the word privacy in the clause. The Supreme Court has, however, recognized this as a right going back to 1891. The year before Roe, which was 1972, not 1891, uh, the Supreme Court held that in a constitution for a free people, there can be no doubt that the meaning of liberty must be broad indeed. And that is basically where... um, the court decided that the right to privacy extended to women's control over a pregnancy.
0: Right. And and during this process, the justices acknowledged that being forced to continue a pregnancy puts a lot at risk for women, like their physical health, their mental health, their financial health, and social stigmas. And the idea that constitutional protections begin at conception also didn't really go that far. The Constitution doesn't provide a definition of a person per se, but it does say that its protections cover those who are born or naturalized in the United States. The Supreme Court referenced other cases that involved unborn children before deciding that the unborn have never been recognized in the law as persons in the whole sense.
1: The Roe v. Wade decision... It also addressed and addresses that conversation about when life begins. So I, for one, did not know that in many um, many people of the Jewish faith believe that life begins at birth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You can contrast this to the prevailing view in, in the Catholic faith, in broader Christianity, really, because I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, and the tradition there is that life begins at conception. Mm-hmm. Um, the science, the science, uh, varies, but, um, doctors tend to lean towards the belief that life begins sometimes before birth, (laughs) which puts (laughs) all of this in a lovely argument-settling definitive gray area. We love them. The court pretty much put
0: the kibosh on the idea that it was up to states to determine when life begins. They said, we do not agree that by adopting one theory of life, Texas may override the rights of the pregnant woman that are at stake.
1: They're saying uh, in court speak that uh, right. you, the Texas can't just arbitrarily say, well, this is when life begins and therefore you women, you have no rights. Um, it doesn't, however, mean that the court agreed that the Constitution guarantees an absolute right to abortion. The privacy right doesn't prevent states from putting some regulations on abortion. And that, those regulations, are where things get really tricky for this. Yeah. To guide the, the judgment uh, and, and how to determine when it is okay to regulate abortions, um, the court designed a framework to balance the state's interest with women's privacy rights. You've probably heard of it. I'd heard of it. I didn't know this is where it came from. <laughs> I thought this was some medical thing. It's not. Um, it turns out that trimesters are the, the concept that was invented almost arbitrarily uh, by the Supreme Court to help guide when states can regulate an abortion. I thought it was a developmental thing. I thought like the first trimester ended when this developed and the second trimester ended when this developed. No. no. I just
0: thought it was an easy way for doctors to keep track of how many weeks you were at. And then I thought it was really crazy that they were trying to divide 40 weeks into, into. three trimesters. Yeah. But I mean, I'm bad at math, so I don't judge.
1: Well, you know what? It all makes sense when you realize there's was a bunch of judges <laughs> who were doing it. And their strength is literature and reading and law. And I don't think math is included. Right. So no ass- offense to any any judges or justices that might be listening to this. Dude, it was just a light jab. They might be jab. super
0: mathy. They might be they super might be mathy.
1: Incredible math nerds.
0: Exactly. Essentially, the court said that the state can't regulate abortion in the first trimester beyond requiring that the procedure be performed by a licensed doctor in medically safe conditions. Regulations in the second trimester must be reasonably related to the health of the pregnant woman. And then finally, in the third trimester of pregnancy, the state's interest in protecting the potential human life outweighs the woman's right to privacy. So the state may prohibit abortions unless abortion is necessary to save the life or health of the mother.
1: So read between the lines, Roe v. Wade didn't actually legalize abortion. In fact laws like this had existed previous to roe v wade um it's just white hammered it home i guess in in the american psyche um it it the the law the determination from the justices only all it did was change how the states can regulate abortion and it characterized abortion as something that was covered under constitutional rights of privacy Something now, that, oh, go for it. I I wrote this, but I, y- if you want to address it, that's totally fine, too, because I'm sure that our experiences were very similar.
0: Yeah, this kind of applies to many people who, well, who live all over the United States because Protestant Christianity is, is fairly per- pervasive, um, yeah. especially the further south you go. But yeah. something that you hear a lot in church circles and in religious areas is that, Roe versus Wade meant more and more babies were being murdered and that that number was constantly on the rise. I yeah. mean, people don't really talk about declines in abortions in those church circles. Yeah. The perspective is that they're always going up.
1: It's very strange. It's almost like a tactic or something. Right.
0: Uh, and I, <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. I'm, I'm deep in a hole right now. Um, I've been listening to a podcast called, called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And okay. I'm deep into this whole ex-evangelical hole and all these things. That, anyway, but so that that plays very, very interestingly into that. That whole narrative that this is an attack on humanity and that these numbers are always going up and we have to do something about this. We have to do something yeah. about this. Um, but the reality is that Roe didn't really have much impact on the number of abortions that were performed each year in the United States. According to the Guttmacher Institute, in the years before Roe was decided, there were over 1 million illegal abortions performed in the U.S. annually. After the Roe decision, that number remains around 1 million. However, these are performed legally and with a major benefit. The rate of deaths occurring as the result of abortions dropped dramatically in the years following Roe.
1: So I'm going to slow this down. I'm going to say it in bold. For all the people in the back, Mm -hmm. fewer women die when abortion is legal. But the same number of abortions happen either way.
0: I think we just need to let that settle for a minute. Because I don't think a lot of people realize that. I think a lot of people have this law-abiding perspective that if we can just make a rule about it, people won't do it. Yeah. Um, well.
1: Well, no. No, 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 no. You're right. I think you're right in part. But right. those same people are going to be the ones who argue that if you make guns illegal, only yeah. criminals will have them.
0: That's, I was that's, just getting ready to say the same thing. It's very yeah. subjective. It's very yeah. subjective.
1: And that's, I mean, that's the thing is you cannot legislate morality. And we have seen that time and time and time again. We saw it with prohibition. We saw it with abortion. Yes. And we're going to continue to see it with abortion. Um, And we see it with the war on drugs. Yeah. You cannot legislate. You cannot pass a law to force somebody to behave according to your moral standards. You, right. It's never going to happen. They'll just do it illegally. It's a mess. It's it's it, it's humanity. And it's something that we need to understand as humans, as people who want better for the world. You know, I don't want people to be addicted to uh, opiates, opioids, Mm -hmm. right? I don't want them to be uh, using heroin and uh, ruining their health and their life, but I am never going to be able to pass a law to stop them from doing that. What I can do is provide off ramps. I can provide services to make sure that the circumstances that don't, that exist, that drive them to use those things are minimized that they aren't creating as much impact and we see it with abortion it works in abortion you want to reduce abortion you increase sex education mm-hmm. you increase access to contraceptives you increase access to condoms you de stigmatize talking about sex
0: and and not only that you you Put measures in place that provide for increased access to health care, because we know that most women who end up having abortions do not have access to the kind of important health care that that ends up in a healthy pregnancy. You increase yeah. social services so that these women don't feel like they're going to be burdened with a child that they can't feed that they can't right. house, that they can't take care of. And we know statistically that when those programs are in place, when there are more social services in place, we see abortion rates go down.
1: Yeah. I was, gonna, I was going to hit this later on, but I, w- I want to do it now while I'm thinking of it before I forget. I hate this idea that everybody wants these children to be born. Um but doesn't give any thought to the quality of life that that child will have. Right. As if it is somehow more moral to allow them to be born into a world of poverty. Mm -hmm. If, If a child is suffering for God knows how long because mom wasn't ready to have a kid, for whatever reason that is it doesn't matter what the reason is if if that child is born into that life their suffering is it's who knows it it's indeterminate and it is compounded by the suffering of other people who are in that situation as well yeah i so, mean i
0: think i think we need to jump back into background here but i we yeah. are going to talk in just a little bit about the implications of a law like this one
1: right, for you the know.
0: future. <sighs> no, you're good. Off, you're good. Get, I just want you get to, get to save that soapbox. Just save I it. I know.
1: I just, the thought hit me actually today while, I, while we were preparing for this, and I was like, ooh, I gotta be sure I get that out there because I, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, so since the court's decision in Roe versus Wade, judicial interpretation of the Constitution is that abortion is legal. However, there have been further cases that refined and changed how Roe is applied. Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992 reaffirmed a woman's right to choose, but it did remove the trimester framework. It's not used anymore. Instead, uh, states um, are allowed to regulate based on a standard of fetal viability. So if the, f- uh, the fetus's ability to survive outside of the womb now typically um, the consensus is that a fetus is viable around seven months or 28 weeks Uh, it can be as early as 24 weeks or six months Um, but that's the window right so six weeks which is the texas law (laughs) doesn't make any sense
0: it it doesn't and we'll talk about why in just a minute we'll get
1: there we'll get there there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: more recently, in Whole Woman's Health v. Hellerstead in 2016, Roe v. Wade was applied again. This time, Texas, I don't know why it's always Texas, we know passed always a law Texas. that placed a series of restrictions on abortion clinics in the state, primarily that abortion providers had to have admitting privileges at a hospital no more than 30 miles away.
1: Yeah. I remember when this happened. I wasn't paying as much attention to it as I should have been. Right. But I do remember this happening.
0: Admitting uh, privileges, if you don't know what those are, they essentially allow a doctor to have their patients admitted to a hospital as if the doctor were an employee there and treat the patients how the doctor wishes without the need for approval from another doctor that works at that hospital.
1: Yeah. Which the, the, <laughs> the important part about this is that it's hard to get admitting privileges. Right. And when the requirement took effect, Texas went from having 42 abortion clinics to only 19. Now, some of you may not be familiar with just how big Texas is.
0: It's real big.
1: Allow me to illustrate. Put it this way. It's the only state outside of Alaska where you can set out at 80 miles an hour on one side of Texas, drive for 10 hours, and still be in Texas. (laughs) I mean, you'll barely be in Texas, but you will still be Seriously. in Texas.
0: I'm pretty sure I've done that. Yeah. Pretty it sure.
1: gets Driving through Texas is a, it is a taste of purgatory.
0: Yes. The only is. perk is that their speed limits are real So high. fast.
1: So fast. Because the state's so big. If they weren't that fast, you'd never get where you're going. You would never get never. anywhere. you just die on the highway from starvation. Exactly. It's big, guys. And, and. The purgatory comment has nothing to do with Texas itself. It's just because you keep going and going yes. and going and going and going and you're never there.
0: You're never there. And it's, never. Not, it's not super densely populated in some parts of it. So you're going and going and going and going and there's nothing. Yeah. 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 I mean, anyway. I just if, if you've never driven across Texas with a six-year-old who has to pee oh every two hours, you'll understand what purgatory is. Mm-hmm. Plus your heart. Oh yeah. Right. So the Supreme Court found in that case that states can't place restrictions on abortion clinics that create an undue burden for women seeking an abortion, which effectively ended the admitting privileges regulation.
1: So and you know, notably and interestingly, an undue burden was considered driving a great distance. That is that is Uh, an expense for literal money because to pay for the gas, but also Mm -hmm. you have to have a vehicle that can do it.
0: Yes. And you have to have the time to be able to do it.
1: Right. So let's get over to uh, this law, Texas uh, Bill, uh, SB8, rather.
0: Yeah. This one, man. Like, when I was looking at information about the law and reading the law itself, it became very clear that this... Regulation has been carefully crafted after years of failed efforts to restrict abortion access in Texas. Yeah. Like, it's super, super deliberate.
1: Yeah. Everything about it is intentional. Everything.
0: Which is, we're going to hear in a minute, is going to make it a little bit more complicated for um, the courts to actually restrict this.
1: But on its... Ironically, sorry, ironically... Every law should be this intentional and have this much effort put into it. Right. Just maybe not for evil. evil. You know, sorry. Right. Evil. Uh,
0: evil. Um, okay. So, on its face, Texas SBA prohibits abortions after fetal cardi- cardiac activity occurs except in cases where there's, there is a significant threat to the mother's life or there's risk of substantial irreversible impairment of a major bodily function from carrying the pregnancy. Um, that set of restrictions right there alone is enough to cause significant uproar when it comes to abortion legislation, uh, as previous attempts at laws like this one have been challenged in court as unconstitutional.
1: As we mentioned, this was finely crafted, and the creators of Texas SB8 built something else into the law that makes it much more difficult to challenge from a constitutional perspective. It actually bars state officials from enforcing it, which sounds like crazy talk. Why would you make a law that a state official can't do? Right. But that's how it skirts the constitutionality, because it means that the government isn't the one restricting the right. Mm Mm-hmm. So while it sounds like it makes no sense, it actually makes the law more resistant to potential challenge. Instead, it empowers private citizens to sue anyone they believe to be violating the law by performing abortions or by aiding or abetting the procedure, like giving a woman a ride to the clinic or providing financial assistance or even, I mean, there will be arguments made that giving advice yes. would be aiding and abetting. hmm now, these cases can't be brought against the woman herself. The plaintiffs in these cases have to... Uh, they, they go after everybody around the woman. And yeah. they don't need to have any connection to the situation to bring the, to bring the lawsuits. Excuse me. And if they win, <laughs> they could be awarded $10,000 or more. Or it's, more. It's bananas. It's crazy town. Because... What they what this has effectively done, I don't want to jump ahead, but they've effectively created a system where you can be an abortion bounty hunter. Yes. Like, you could just go, and you don't even have to do anything. You just yes. have to be like, oh, that person, they're more than six weeks pregnant. They walked into an abortion clinic. They walked into a Planned Parenthood. I'm suing Planned Parenthood.
0: Right. And uh, Yeah. We're going to talk about the implications in literally like 10 seconds. I know. I'm sorry. I can't
1: avoid it. No,
0: like I I keep wanting to jump ahead and I keep having to remind myself. (sighs)
1: Slow it down. Slow it down. Yeah. Get to the context.
0: (laughs) It's uh, So another one of the really controversial aspects of this particular law is that it makes no exceptions for pregnancies that are due to rape, abuse, or incest. Um, the information that I found said the justification for that was that these women uh, have access to emergency contraceptive med- measures um, or abortions before six weeks. Um, but I don't I don't know how many of these people have ever been a woman that is trying to figure out whether or not they are currently pregnant. Is not as easy as one would think <laughs> it can I be thought- very complicated.
1: Robin, I'm pretty sure they just sell tests at Walgreens. You mean to tell me that those tests aren't like perfect every time?
0: They're not. I actually had one that I took out of a box one time where the entire little screen where you're supposed to be able to see that line was already blue.
1: You were super pregnant.
0: Like when I took it out of the box, it was like, hey. You're mega
1: pregnant. Yeah. You were just like, it was like, I got it. I know. All right. Don't even. Just don't even. You don't have to worry about it. Just go buy diapers. Right. Get ready.
0: Well, and not to mention the cost that is associated with right. determining whether or not you're pregnant. Yeah, they're not super expensive tests, but the more expensive, the more likely they are to be accurate and the earlier they are sensitive. But most pregnancy tests are not even like they won't even make any claims about their accuracy until eight weeks.
1: You mean two weeks after this law means it's illegal for you to get an abortion?
0: Because Crazy. because like the it's like they did it on purpose. Right, and it's like the hormone rates in a woman's body are so variable, and that's what those tests pick up. They pick up yeah. hormones in your urine. So if you, um, like I had an ectopic pregnancy, right? So my hormone levels were super-duper low, but my body was still real pregnant. So like, there's just so much variability in there that to argue that women who are, have experienced rape or abuse or incest have plenty of time to take care of the issue before they get to this this fetal heart rate scenario is absurd
1: it's crazy and it not to mention the fact if they're like oh they can use plan b or this emergency contraceptive stuff first of all do you know how expensive plan b can be
0: i have zero not- zero clue but it's probably real expensive
1: it ain't cheap now I think there are some programs out there where you can get it for free or you can qualify for free emergency contraceptive I'm not 100% on that but I do know from a friend that uh, it could (laughs) it could be real pricey yeah
0: I I mean like
1: like I think $80 one time uh, $50 another time yeah
0: and again, yeah. considering that 70% of abortions done in Texas in 2019 were provided to women of color, and we know that women of color are the most likely to be poor and to have reduced access to medical care to rely on services like Planned Parenthood, $80, $50 yeah. at a time, that's that could very well put this so far out of a woman's range of accessibility that you are essentially forcing her to continue that pregnancy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And how much worse is it going to be if they can't afford $80 now or $50 now, or they can't afford the time to go pick it up for free, even if it's free, Mm -hmm. they still have to be able to get there and have the time to do it, right? If they can't afford that, what is a child going to do in that mix, you know? No. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> so um, Sego and Texas Right to Life, which is the biggest anti-abortion organization in the state, um, they plan to start suing those that they believe are violating this bill, SB8. Um, the organization has even set up a whistleblower website where anyone can file anonymous tips about um, illegal abortions. And, um, they have, they've been setting up, I heard one of their lawyers talking about it and it's really gross, but they were talking about having informants, yeah, you know, people out there who are just, I guess, creeping on pregnant ladies and people going into these, these clinics, um, just to, just so they can start suing. And the end effect is going to be that if the clinics, if the Planned Parenthood, let's be honest, that's who this is targeting. If Planned Parenthood hasn't shut down yet in a particular region of Texas after this has gone into effect, a lot of them shut down already. If they haven't, they're going to be sued into oblivion. They're going to be sued to the point where they have to anyway.
0: Essentially, this law has created a system in which these right to life organizations, can set up lawsuit farms it's i think that the cases of joe average individual suing a doctor for providing an abortion are going to be few and far between taking a case like this to court comes with substantial legal fees and if you don't win you're responsible for those fees it takes up a lot of time you have to do a lot of paperwork it's complicated but what is going to happen is that these organizations are going to centralize all of that. They're going to bring in these networks of informants, and they're just going to start having their lawyers farm lawsuits as quickly as possible and as much volume as possible with complete disregard to which ones actually take. Because if you can tie an organization up in court and make them spend money on lawyers and legal fees and filing fees... Then you can essentially shut them down.
1: Yeah. Whether or and not yeah. you
0: ever win a lawsuit.
1: I, I have a feeling it's going to end up being basically like a form letter. They're going to have their fill in the blank. This person at this time at this location was seen, suspected to be getting an abortion uh, and suspected of being greater than uh, six weeks pregnant at the time. Um, and, or this person uh, definitely did get an abortion, but. Uh, you know, it happened over the weekend or whatever. And it, it, a lot of them will be like Robin said, they're not even going to take, but they're still going to take resources. Mm-hmm. The, I think the other thing we're going to see a lot of private um, lawsuits are going to come from, uh, there will be a small set of the population that uh, maybe uh, men that impregnated a woman that are suing because they wanted to force the pregnancy to continue For whatever reason. Um, And then there will be vindictive people who are just going after their ex. Right. They're not going to be able to sue their ex directly. But if you don't think that the woman who actually got the abortion isn't going to be involved in the court case, (laughs) isn't going to be subpoenaed, isn't going to be required to show up and give testimony. Like, come on.
0: Right. Um, Like, there are just there are so many possible without without venturing into slippery slope territory there are so many possible implications for allowing people who have no uh what is called very often in these civil cases as standing they can't prove mm. that they were ever injured by the event that occurred by allowing people who have no standing to engage in these lawsuits they've essentially created the wild wild west yeah. over abortion and you I'm not going to play what if. But I think we can all envision a host of circumstances in which this could be used in ways that are punitive and vindictive and um, contrary to the expressed intention of the legislation. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's another one of those laws that appeals to a segment of the population, but that in practice is going to cause major problems heartache is not even the right term for it. Just it's gonna, it's, it's people are going to die plain and simple. Uh, people are going to die because of this, either because of the literal being forced to carry a baby that they didn't want and maybe couldn't actually safely support since there's no, uh or, or since the, the law, the way it's written um says significant or what is what's the actual wording of it up here um oh
0: um
1: it says uh, mother's life or risk of a sus- substantial irreversible impairment so that's going to be up to a at some point that could be up to a judge to determine even right. if the doctor says yes your life is at risk somebody could still sue because they could they could argue that the life wasn't at risk right there's so much wiggle room um would that lawsuit be likely to 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 go through probably not i'm pretty sure the professional opinion will be favored but does it matter if in in being sued for doing that that doctor no longer um advises that people's lives are in danger right and you know in the same circumstances if they move their standards um, th- they call it a chilling effect. There'll be a chilling effect mm-hmm. on certain behaviors that currently save lives. Right. We're going to see an increase. This happens every time there's a greater regulation on abortion. There's going to be an increase in illegal abortions. Yes. And I don't just mean those done at pregnancy centers like or Planned Parenthood, um, after six weeks. I mean, the nightmare scenarios where people talk about hangers and throwing themselves downstairs and taking pills and and forcing miscarriages. Yeah. I'm sorry to get incredibly graphic there, but that's what we're going to see because it happens right. every time.
0: Like, it has to be, you have to talk about it in those terms in order for people to understand what is at stake here. I mean, I come from a generation that was raised on the movie Dirty Dancing, and I think I was probably 12 before I realized the whole situation at the core of that movie, but that is, that's how it was then, pre-Roe v. Wade, and that's how it is in areas where women do not have access to safe and effective abortion care, that regardless of whether or not you think it's right, regardless of how you feel about the act itself, it costs women their lives, It just does. Um, So we're going to talk there. As I was doing some research, I found quite a bit of spin um, in and around this lawsuit, the ways that people are trying to shape the narrative to make this seem like it's doing a good thing rather than doing a bad thing. Um, And one of the implications that I want to talk about actually kind of bridges us nicely into the idea of spin. And that's the concept of fetal anomalies. Um, One of the things that I learned about not as long ago as I would like to admit that changed my perspective on this whole conversation was the idea of women who are carrying pregnancies, carrying fetuses that have such significant anomalies that that child could not survive outside of the womb. Hmm. Very often, these anomalies are undetectable until... At least 12 weeks, but some of them 18 and 20 weeks. And when I'm talking about fetal anomalies, most often you hear Down syndrome presented as the case. People say, oh, well, you're going to, people are just going to start aborting all of their Down syndrome babies. And sure, that is one fetal anomaly. And there are places in the world where abortion rates for fetuses with Down syndrome are astronomical. That's its own topic. What I'm talking about are babies who are developing with a third of their brain. Or, missing or no brain. Or no brain, missing essential organs. Missing diaphragms, right? So yeah. they can survive Unable in the to womb. Breathe. But they will be born and then suffocate. These kinds of cases which are traumatic and devastating to families that are carrying these pregnancies to term, have every intention of having and raising these children, those situations are devastating. And then for those women to be told, essentially, that they have to carry this child through to 40 weeks and go through the entire process of birth, only to know that that child is either going to be stillborn or die within moments of birth, there's no, there's no way to quantitatively describe that kind of trauma. Yeah. But laws like this, because that's not a risk to the mother's life, laws like this make no exceptions for those cases. Those women will be required to carry those pregnancies to term with all of the cost, with all of the emotional trauma, um, so often we get this perspective that women who have abortions are doing it because they're selfish, because they yeah. don't want to have a baby. And there are, there are absolutely those cases where, where having a baby, where carrying a pregnancy to term will have a significantly negative impact on a woman's life. There are those cases. But we can't forget that there are also women out there who would very much love to carry their pregnancies to term. And are not going to end up with a child at the end of the process. Um, so when we're considering laws like this, we absolutely cannot forget about those women who are, are now going to be subjected to um, some incredible trauma because, because of that perspective that it is selfish to, uh, to choose to have an abortion at any point after there is a fetal heartbeat
1: heartbeat yeah um the counter to your point robin that i hear all the time is well that's less than one percent it's less than one percent of pregnancies but like you said and like i want to reiterate how do you quantify the torture that you're putting somebody through right when you force them to carry a baby that it will not survive there will be no miracle right it will not survive they know that when they give birth to it, it will either be dead or it will be, it will be dead shortly.
0: And it, it will, it, at that point, right, you've got 18 weeks when, um, when in the course of fetal development, there are certain things that are not developed, systems that are not working, that are not functioning. But once you get to 40 weeks, there are systems that are fully functional that could result in in suffering and and pain for the fetus after birth. So do yeah. you, do you at what point do you quantify that it's okay to let a newborn child at that point according to the perspective of a lot of these people suffocate? Like it just it makes no sense to me like this is this is a soapbox probably because it it is one of the things that completely changed my perspective and yeah it, maybe it is less than 1% of pregnancies but i know 3 women personally know in my circle of friends 3 women who have had experiences with that there are so yeah. many pregnancies that occur every single year in the united states that you pull out that 1% and that's a hell of a lot of women
1: yeah and it's a hell of a lot of women who will throw that 1% right back in your face. And dads too. And dads dads too. You know, it tears people up. Um, I do want to hammer something about the fetal heartbeat because I think people hear fetal heartbeat and they think life. There's a heartbeat, therefore the baby is developed. No. 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 So this law specifically prohibits abortions whenever an ultrasound can detect what lawmakers defined as a fetal heartbeat. The law says the legislature finds, according to contemporary medical research, that fetal heartbeat has become a key medical predictor that an unborn child will reach live birth. And that's that a woman has the right to make an informed choice about whether to continue her pregnancy The pregnant woman has a compelling interest in knowing the likelihood of her unborn child to survive to full-term birth based on the presence of cardiac activity. The problem, though, is that medical and legal experts say that the term fetal heartbeat is misleading. There, There is electrical activity in the tissue. It will one day become an actual heartbeat, Sure. But embryos don't actually possess a heart at that stage of development. What they are hearing, what they are registering on those um, scans is not a heartbeat. It's just a cluster of cells with an electrical signal. There's there's at six weeks, there's not even there's not defined body systems in pregnancy. There's not. There can't be a heart.
0: That kind of specialization in tissue happens as the pregnancy goes on and at a a later date. So that detection of a fetal heart rate of that electrical activity does not mean (laughs) that that is a a child with a heart. And it, it makes a bit of a conflation there. We talk a lot about correlation and causation. And when you look at charts... Yes, the rate of spontaneous abortion or miscarriage drops consistently as you go through pregnancy. The longer you are pregnant, the less likely it is that you are going to have a spontaneous abortion. However, (laughs) that doesn't always mean that it's the fetal heart rate that is causative of that, right? Basically, if you make it to six weeks, you are more likely to make it all the way through. That's what that means. But I I will say that most women who miscarry before six weeks don't ever actually know that they were pregnant.
1: Yeah. And that was something that I was... Because, again, at that point, it's, it's not even like the size of a peanut. It's a cluster of cells. And it might be a peanut i don't know
0: No. but it's not no. it's
1: it's not even that um but it's it's not noticeable it's when you pass it if you have a miscarriage and there are a ton of i i don't have the statistics at my fingertips and i'm not going to keep you here while i look it up but there are a large number of pregnancies and miscarriages that happen every year that women do not know about
0: oh yeah it's it is at a all. It's, it's not a statistic that they can estimate because you can't report it, right? Yeah, because um, you never
1: knew about it.
0: But at six weeks, an embryo is about the size of a grain of rice.
1: There we go. Grain of rice. Yeah. that's okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll take it out. Um, um, yeah, so... there's <laughs> You can't have a heart in a grain of rice. I'm sorry. You just can't. You can't. You can't. Yeah. Um, it. Um, so a lot of the a lot of the phraseology around this. And to be fair, arguments on both sides really do play on emotional connections. Yes. You know, we hit on one talking about the the fewer than 1% pregnancies that are not viable at all, right? The, the uh, fetal anomalies, right? That is, yes, an emotional appeal. And it gets dismissed because it is an emotional appeal. I just happen to think that that particular emotional appeal has a lot of weight to it because mm-hmm. of what it actually means and the the experience that it actually brings to people this fetal heartbeat one the reason they're using that term the reason they're using that phrase and driving it home that it's about the fetal heartbeat they're doing it because it's an emotional appeal because they want you to picture a fully grown baby when they say these things when in reality there is it is it is it is a a Scientifically speaking, a clump of cells that has nothing even approximating consciousness because it doesn't have neurons yet. Yeah. So, like no neurons. It is, it is, it's just cellular tissue. It has a lot of potential. It could be the next Einstein, sure. It could develop into the next Einstein. I'll grant you that. But so too could the mother. And we cannot, we, we, we cannot value the life for the potential if we don't apply that equally to mother and child. And that's what, that's what happens whenever I hear that argument. You have totally forgotten about the mother. Mm-hmm. And all of the promise and potential that she has is probably completely changed by forcing her to carry a baby to term that she is not ready to have, and we could get into discussions about uh, adoption, or, um, or or getting help, or all of the programs that we have to help young mothers. But the fact of the matter is, those don't address the actual issue at hand. They are bandages for a a deeper wound. Um, I my final thought on this before we, we hang up for the day, is that my my personal problem, the reason that I, I switched from being anti-abortion growing up to being pro-choice, is that all of the arguments that I hear about abortion and being against it specifically hinge on morality that is determined by things that are unique to each individual. Mm-hmm. And we don't all agree on the base level morality for this issue. Christians have one view. It is a pretty large population, so that view is pretty spread throughout the country. But not everybody in this country is a Christian. And we cannot legislate from the perspective of Christian morality being the baseline. We must legislate from a place where we can allow different moralities to exist without punishing them. Now, that isn't to say that because somebody thinks murder isn't immoral, they should be allowed to do it. There's obviously um, societal mores and values that we all agree on that do do form a baseline and that have consistently formed a baseline throughout human existence um but we can't force our religious preferences right on other people because you know who does that the taliban does that that's literally who does that if you want to form a theocracy it. if you want to form a government that is driven by christian fundamentalist ideology that is exactly what the Taliban are doing in Afghanistan, except for they're approaching it from uh, the Muslim perspective, from Islam, is a very extreme interpretation right. of that. So let's be very clear: it does not represent all of our Islamic brothers and sisters. Okay, right. It, um, but in
0: the same way that that those who would seek to set up a um, a Judeo Christian theocracy in the United States probably do not represent a majority of Christians in the United States. Like I think we can all agree agree that extremism is extremism, no matter what religion it comes from.
1: Yeah. And that's, and that's the point that I'm trying to get to is this is just extremism. That's all it is. And because Christianity enjoys a very, very high pedestal in our country because of the, the, population that follows it the size of that population it is somehow excusable here yeah i you know i think back now on literally from the pulpit hearing my my pastor growing up talk about how we needed to get um to get christians into office so they could pass legislation based on the bible
0: yes i have direct family members whose only determining factor in who they vote for for president is whether or not they are likely to uh, increase restrictions on abortion.
1: Single issue voters. Yeah. Every time that's a, right. a abortion is like one of the biggest single issue ones out there. So I'm just so, yeah. Put a bow on my thoughts. If your argument <laughs> has to do with religion as its source for being a law, correct. You are trying to establish a theocracy, right? That is explicitly anti-American. Yes. Theocracies cannot be democracies.
0: Exactly. We need scienceocracy. Just kidding. We don't need one of those either. <laughs> Look, I heard today about the, like scientists are growing stem cell little mini brains, and those little mini brains spontaneously grew themselves some eye cups, some optical <laughs> cups. So <laughs> yeah, Google it, super creepy. Um, no,
1: I'm not going to Google it, but <laughs> I mean, it, it's actually kind of cool, but bleh.
0: right. But like, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of what could happen in a scienceocracy, but what <sighs> we need to do is we need to work together to come up with laws and rules <laughs> that best represent reality and truth and fact. And,
1: and that allow people to pursue their moral, morality yes. and their best choices for themselves.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: Any final thoughts, Robin,
0: before
1: we um, dig ourselves into another soapbox?
0: We're in a hole. My, I, honestly, my, my biggest final thought here, what I would hope from anybody who's listening to this, and there's a high likelihood that people listening to this are going to think that we are crazy and completely disagree with us on this topic. We know that this is an incredibly polarizing topic. I'm not asking you to change your mind. I'm asking you to look at the science unbiased science, science that does not come from a pro-life organization or a pro-choice organization, science-based science, doctor science. Use that information. Come to your own conclusion on what science says about what life means, and then use that to inform your perspective on this topic, this particular law, actually,
1: if you think we got this just horribly, horribly wrong or horribly, horribly right, uh, you can let us know. The best way to find us is on our website, firesidebreakdowns.com. Um, you have all sorts of goodies there waiting for you, including show notes. This, The show notes for this one, uh, they they will be there. Fewer sources than normal. Yeah. Basically just enough to structure our conversation today. A lot more bullet and, points. Yep. A lot more bullet points. Um You'll also find all of our old episodes that you can listen to if you want to and a handy-dandy contact us form if you want to yell at us through the internet. That's your place to do it. Totally. Um, all of our links to our socials, Facebook, Instagram. I don't know if Twitter's still up there. Probably. Um, we're not really on Twitter. And, um, and our Patreon link if you think we deserve a coffee every month. Be super cool. Um, Catherine, patron person who we love dearly mm-hmm. uh you'll be getting your <laughs> your bit of it soon i promise we'll go I've, I've got we're, a, we're trying
0: to make you a playlist the problem yeah. is we're a train
1: wreck when it comes to music there's that and there's also the fact that we've got like 73 other irons in the fire right now and a lot of them are time sensitive we're james um, franco we like having jobs basically um so yeah uh, any good news this week? There's actually lots of really cool mini good news things. I don't know if there's anything around this particular topic.
0: Well, I mean was some mini good news. Cause I yep. I didn't prepare any mini good news today.
1: Well we've got um so HIV, um Vaccinations are entering the trial phase using the oh, mRNA technology that we talked nice. about a few years ago, or a few <laughs> it feels like a few years ago, a few episodes ago, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I, I we did hit on like the future use cases of uh, mRNA vaccines. This is this is one of them. So those are in- entering trials. I'm very excited about that. Um, there is a uh, potential cure for uh, osteoarthritis that is being uh, explored right now, which is incredible. If you know anybody that has suffered from arthritis, that's a huge, huge, huge yeah. deal. Um, we are we have um, lifted a regulation that allows scientists to grow embryos a little longer in lab conditions, um, which will allow one better study of the developmental process of uh, fetuses, but also um much broader range of experimentation um, and and the ability to <laughs> treat us all better. Um there's just all sorts it's it's science is being science right science now and I've been science. seeing a lot of it. I got a non-science a
0: I got a non-science mini good news. I do Perfect. have one. Um, do it. <laughs> the state of Illinois actually has passed a regulation that allows students in school to take up to five mental health days Every school year without um, without negative repercussions on them, which is huge when it comes to kids. Um, I know growing up as a kid, I wasn't sick a lot like illness, fever, sick. Uh, But I did require more than one mental health day in a school year. Sometimes you're just done. Sometimes you're just over it, especially considering all of the things that our kids have been through in the last couple of school years. Um, The tension around going back to school this year, that's a huge win, I think, for kids and their health as we go forward into the school year. And I hope we see more states do things like that.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I think uh, that's a step in the right direction. I know I was obsessed with perfect attendance when I was uh, in school, which oh. is super duper unhealthy because I should have taken breaks and didn't.
0: Oh yeah, no, so. that one's that one's a mess. We never chased that yeah. one.
1: Oh, I did. I chased it hard. Nope. Not- I, I missed a couple of years, but but I had a lot of perfect attendance. That I shouldn't have, honestly, because I was either sick or I needed to stay home.
0: One of my kids got an attendance award one year in school and we were shocked, like baffled. We were like, did they write down the wrong kid?
1: It must have. Must have. <laughs> no, good. Mental health it requires more frequent breaks than it we does. give our kids. Honestly, Agreed. especially with the school days. Anyway, we're on a totally different tangent. Yep. Guys, until next week, thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Um, we will be back at you seven days from today or fewer if you listen to this after monday or negative days from today if you listen to it a week or more after we released it
0: oh man
1: yeah i know we just we just went there crazy um but until that time thank you very much and take care of each other